May's sponsor of the Spamming Zero podcast is ttech.com. ttech is a customer experience firm that focuses on several different industries, but one in particular is retail and e-commerce to all of our listeners out there. Their website, again, if you need the phonetic spelling of that, it's tigertigerechocharlie.com, T-Tech. I love what they have on their About Us page. The power of big and the agility of small. They're a big company, but they have the agility to do a lot, just like a small company does. I also love it, the fact that they're in six continents, 50 languages, employees globally is 69,000, and their client MPS is plus 71. Pretty awesome. A couple of other things about T-Tech is they're customer obsessed, digitally empowered, and outcome focused. Some of the CX solutions they offer are customer care outsourcing. So if you need a BPO, they can be your partner. Contact center outsourcing, as well as CX solutions and strategy. Reach out to ttech.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Everybody, welcome to Spamming Zero. I'm feeling pretty good today because I got a haircut and like the first time in like a whole month and a half and my wife is finally like in love with me again. So there's that. That's fun. I'm super excited because we are joined with Brandy Starr, who is from Tegrita. Uh, she is a top 50 woman in MarTech. Uh, also the co-author of the CMO to CRO book and a fellow host of a podcast herself called Revenue Rehab. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. Brandy, give the listeners a little bit of your background and what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so I am a marketer turned consultant. Um, I have been in digital marketing for 23 years now. Uh, I always joke and say my claim to fame is when I started my marketing career, I was designing collateral for fax machines. And now I don't even know that my youngest kid knows what a fax machine is. But in that, uh, over the years, I have done a little bit of everything, focusing mainly on communication strategy and how we orchestrate that communication journey to be really effective. And so that is something that I work with a lot of my clients at Tegrita on. Um, it is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about communications in the context of marketing operations, which doesn't sound super sexy, but <laughs> it is super, super important um, because especially in a B2C environment, because you know that customer journey and every customer interaction is so important. And operations is really what makes that happens happen in a seamless fashion. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting because there's so many people out there that I think um, that would be listening to the show today that are in the direct-to-consumer space and e-commerce space. And um, I think many of them actually are not marketing ops people. They're actually more like an e-commerce title. And that e-commerce title oversees so much. They oversee like the customer journey. They oversee like the tech side. They oversee like the service side and the support side. And they have to see so much. And the communication streams are absolutely crucial to that. Before we dive into the topic, though, I always like to kind of like break the ice a little bit with my guests. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions just to be some, have some fun. Okay. Tell me about 
the funniest or most memorable customer interaction you've ever had in your career? Ah, let's see. Um, you know, because your audience is B2C, I'm actually going to give you a personal example um, of something that blew my mind away. This was about a year or so ago, went to Cabo in Mexico for a wedding. Um, You know, we stayed at the resort that the bride and groom told us to stay at where the wedding was. So didn't really research it much. Um, And we get there and they tell me a butler comes with the room. And I had never stayed at a resort that had a butler, didn't really know what they were good for, um, and had a situation where I had an allergic reaction. Uh, I have a lot of food allergies, a lot, a lot of food allergies. And there was an ingredient in something I ordered that was not listed on the menu. Um, and so it wasn't super serious. Like I wasn't dying. I was, you know, breaking out in hives and, and had some other issues. And I didn't know what to do because, you know, there the, it was like too late for the store, all these sorts of things. So I go back to the room and on the way back to the room, I happen to run into the butler and, you know, he's like, Senora, are you okay? And I was like, no. And he asked me what was wrong. I'm like, I'm going back to my room to lay down. I've had this allergic reaction. Like, you know, I look crazy. And so he's like, I've got you taken care of. I'll be back. And, you know, I had no idea what that meant. Um, but he came back with, you know, the their version of Benadryl. Uh, he also had some sort of like rub to put on my skin. Like he came back with all of these things. And he said, I checked. And I know that these don't include ingredients that you're allergic to. Your food allergies are listed here. He knew who I was. He solved my problem. And then he also went, you know, a step further. And the next morning he delivered me printed versions of the menus and told, you know, which told me he X'd out the things on each menu from all six or seven restaurants at the resort to say, don't get these things based on what you've told me your allergies are. And that blew me away. And, you know, yeah, it was just like, you know, I just wanted to like lay down and just let it pass. Um, and he went above and beyond so that I would not miss out on my vacation and to make sure that I did not experience this problem again in the future um, by, you know, ordering something else that may have had a, a hidden ingredient there. And, you know, I, I was traveling with my best friend who is VP of IT. And so we have a lot of these um professional conversations. And I was like, man, if all companies could get customer service down to this level, I was like, think about the retention that would happen because I'm already looking at going back to that resort because I'm like, I've never been that well taken care of on vacation. I love this story. This has so much to unpack to it too, because, and it like perfectly aligns to our topic today which is, you know, streamlined communication and how to get those communication streams, which by the way, there are many channels that we can do that in, but you know, this particular channel was actually (laughs) more in person, right? Um, If they wouldn't have caught you, would that communication happened? And that's, that's a whole nother ball game there. So Brandy, what are some of the, the big aha moments that you feel like people get into when it comes to 
not having the greatest communication streams and not having the right infrastructure to be able to communicate to their customers? So I think the first thing is the technology. Um, I'm a technologist at heart, so that, you know, it's kind of my default, but it is the connectedness of the various technologies that different groups use that actually enable that. Um, and so to me, that is the foundation of whatever your communication channels are, email, SMS, push, you know, little devices that your butlers are walking around with in their hands, you know, whatever those things are, the data has to flow. Um, and, you know, that data flowing in my situation could have been the difference of life and death because in the restaurant, they clearly didn't have the data that my butler had about my food allergies. And so this was like, you know, a really clear example of what could happen. And, you know, for most of our businesses, no one's going to die if we mess up the communication channel, but it's a really clear indicator of how when things work well, they work really well. And when the technology is broken and doesn't get the right information in front of the right people, it could be pretty, you know, have a pretty serious impact for your business. Yeah, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that are trying to tackle the issue that happens when technologies don't talk together, you know, um, especially with e-commerce. Like, actually, I shouldn't say especially with e-commerce. This goes across all industries. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I made it, I made a pretty decent living and career off of this stuff as a, as a ops person. And it's so true with e-commerce. So that's why here at flip, we call this, we call this ecosystem. Um, and it is a bunch of technologies that either do or don't talk to each other. And the closer they are to being able to talk to another piece of technology is what we are defining as the ecosystem. So like our ecosystem of tech partners is super important because we don't want to just like build a bunch of integrations with a bunch of tech partners that don't actually solve that same thing, right? And don't believe in that same thing. So I think that's a big piece is finding vendors that provide the technology that also believe in the stickiness of those things working together. For example, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't stand a chance in e-commerce um, as a as an organization um, if we didn't integrate directly within the e-commerce platforms that people are having their customers buy on, like Shopify right. and Magento, right? So, like, you've gotta you've gotta meet people where they're at. And I think one of the things that I'd love for you to unpack a little bit too is it's it's oftentimes difficult for one for people to identify. Uh, vendors that can do that and that have that stickiness to them. And then number two, not only just identify, but being able to structure it in such a way where the vendor isn't like making it impossible for them to do that. Cause there's a lot of claims out there. So how do they get through some of that noise? So when I am thinking about the technology that you have in place for every industry, you're going to have your core stuff. So in e-commerce, it is obviously the core thing is the platform that people are buying stuff on. Um, and so, you know, that decision usually is clear in figuring out which platform is right for you. But the next layer to that is looking at what are the other things that you need to be able to do and which of them natively play well together 
um, because a lot of technology vendors, uh, you know, we've moved away from these big platforms where you get the all in one. And, you know, the current state of things is people piece together what works best for them. And so in the consideration set, when you're choosing whatever it is, you know, an SMS platform or, you know, how you're going to do email or whatever, um, think about what has native integration. So if you're using Shopify, there's lots of things that already integrate with Shopify. So that's usually where I start. Um, and where there is a reason why, you know, something doesn't fit or maybe there's not something available that has a native integration, um, this is where you start to get into the technical weeds, but looking at what are their APIs look like? And, you know, I won't go too deep there. I'm not, you know, an API developer, but I do know that there are some systems that play well in the sandbox with others and other systems that don't. Um, and so to me, no matter how good a tech is, if their backend is closed and there's no way to connect it, it's a hard no for me. Because at the end of the day, I mean, whether it's orchestrating the communication journey or being able to effectively report, we've got to be able to commingle information so that we can be effective as marketers. I remember in, in I think it was 20, 2016, maybe. Maybe it was a little, I don't, I can't remember which year, somewhere around 2016 timeframe. I was working, I was working as a CMO at a company called CloudShare and we just got acquired by Cisco. Cisco was one of our big investors. And so they bought the company because they wanted to leverage the software and they liked it. So we came into the fold under Cisco and Cisco's like, Hey James, like you've done a lot of ops work before. Can you help us consolidate all of our technology across all these other companies that we've acquired? I think it was a total of eight different companies that they wanted me to look at. Now you can imagine like, it's hard doing it in one company. <laughs> I had to look at eight, <laughs> eight and see how we could consolidate it. And I remember one of the very first things I did was I did an audit across just the collaboration business unit of Cisco. And that audit consisted of finding way more than necessary. I won't say the number. <laughs> of CRMs. Like I'm talking about a CRM for customer support. I'm talking about a CRM for, uh, for sales and then a CRM for marketing. And it was all over the place. And I think also the big trouble that people get in is they don't have enough stakeholders looking at the bigger picture and looking at how these things can tie together. I mean, ultimately the technology is only as good as the people behind it. So I think a lot of what has to happen is you have to create stickiness um, as people within the organization. So what's your advice for people to be the person that's also helping lead that stickiness um, and picking the right vendors that have it? In my opinion, that's a customer experience role. And I know by the standard definition of customer experience, a lot of times those people are looking at the web experience and user interfaces and those sorts of things. And I do, you know, those are clearly components of customer experience. But to me, there needs to be a person, whether they have a CX title or not, like, you know, the title is, is less important, but there does have to be a person or a group who is responsible for looking at every touch point, every experience with the business 
that a customer has and understanding what that experience is like, how consistent it is, where it's broken, you know, how those technologies work together. Because otherwise, every other department has some of their own goals. You know, in marketing, if I'm a marketer, I want to work with the hot tools that's great for my career, you know, all these sorts of things. If I'm in sales, you know, I want what I want that I'm going to feel like I'm successful. Like you have all these people with competing needs and priorities um, that are not always centered around the customer. You have to have someone whose sole job is to put themselves in the customer's shoes and make sure their experience with the brand is what it should be. And so that's my number one advice is figure out where that role should live, whether it's a CX person, whether you give them some made up title, like, you know, I'm indifferent on that, but someone <laughs> has to own that experience and every interaction and what that looks like and be able to pull the other teams in as it makes sense to create collaboration, get stuff done, buy technology. Like they don't have to own the pieces, but they have to own the big picture. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And I like, I really like the fact that you, you put the ownership on the customer experience folks, because I actually agree with you. Um, I think you're spot on. I think we're seeing this also like, you know how like, you served in the B2B world for quite a while, right? Yes. The majority of my career has been B2B. Same. Um, so what's interesting is like so often in the B2B world, for those that are listening in the direct-to-consumer world, we look at we look at the businesses and the brands in the direct-to-consumer world and, and we say, well, what can we learn from them? Because typically they do things more streamlined and efficient than the B2B world does. <laughs> Personal opinion. Of mine. I, I share that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we, we, we like look at them and we kind of put them on this pedestal a little bit. But what's interesting is I actually think the way that the B2B world is tackling ops and what is now referred to as rev ops is something that the direct to consumer world needs to learn from the B2B world and what they're doing. If you look at just HubSpot, okay, HubSpot, a really big company. They have completely invested in the idea of ops and rev ops and how it needs to be this function that helps every other function in the business operate more efficiently, more effectively. And, you know, I, I get excited about it because, you know, as, as all of us are, uh, in some cases, data nerds and, and tech, tech geeks, like those kinds of things I do think are going to require a lens that's much different than today to look through. And that's the lens of you, you can't just look at it from like, Oh, this is what the journey is like on online. This is what it's like. Once it goes over to customer success and customer service, this is what it's like in the sales process. Like you can't look at those individual journeys and think that a function can take care of those individual journeys anymore. Cause the, quite frankly, we as consumers and customers expect way more than that. Right. Yeah. How do businesses manage the expectation that consumers and customers have today in a streamlined journey like that? Um, so, you know, there's first piece, there's always voice of customer. Like you do, you need to make sure that someone is talking to the customers. Um, I listened to one of your earlier episodes. I think it was episode 41 um, where 
uh, Selena, I think was her name. She talked a yeah. lot about the fact that marketers need to be talking to customer support reps because they're, you know, a, a key source of information. And so, you know, that is one perspective of getting voice of customer, having means of talking directly to customers, because you do have to understand what they want and how they want to interact. Um, because in some cases, we can put our eggs in the wrong basket. Like we can, you know, make assumptions that people want to, you know, do things autonomously and we can automate so that you can handle everything without a human when our audience, you know, the only thing they may want is to be able to get to a human. Um, and so you do have to make sure that you really are getting that voice of customer perspective. Um, and then the second phase of that is actually orchestrating it. And so this is where, you know, you talked at the beginning about e-commerce titles being so broad and they're not really being operation titles in e-commerce. Um, and again, I'm less, you know, less caring about the title itself, more that there is someone that is looking at that because, you know, I think Amazon is a company that does amazing at being able to allow you to interact with them however you want to. Like you want to return by going to, you know, an office store, you can. You want to shop at Kohl's and return as well. You know, you want it instantly versus, you know, a credit. Like they they make it so, so easy for no matter how you want to interact to give you that option. I don't know that all businesses have the resources to, you know, be like, you know, pick your poison. Like, how do you want to <laughs> deal with us? Yeah. Um, but if you have someone that owns figuring out how to operationalize that, once you hear from the customer and you know, like, this is what that journey and interaction should look like, you have to have someone with that data technology process mindset to actually think that through and figure out how to put the pieces together. And that's the key piece where I do agree with you wholeheartedly. E-commerce can definitely learn something from B2B because B2B has been investing a lot more time and resources in the ops function under different umbrellas, but really understanding what is that process and technology mindset look like and how do we drive the experience from there? Completely agree. Brandy, we're going to shift gears for a second. Um, it's kind of a new thing that we've been doing on the podcast. So you might not have heard this in the one that you, the one that you listened to. And by the way, Brandy has no idea what's about to come. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're nervous. We're going to, we're, we're going to play a little game. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you just some rapid fire questions. You, you Just first thing that comes to your head. Okay. Which do you prefer CMO or CRO? Uh, CRO is the wave of the future, just not in the current context. All right, cool. Um, fill in the blank. Ice cream is blank. Extremely good. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to flavor? Um, I, it's a toss up for me. Like chocolate chip cookie dough is my number one when I'm trying to be a little healthier rainbow sherbet. Um, <laughs> okay. I like it. I was a little nervous to ask that question because I wasn't sure if that was one of the allergies. So I'm glad it's not. Uh, it is not, thankfully. <laughs> the phone channel in customer experience is blank. So broken. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? It really uh, is. I think it's the oh, most broken, broken part of um, all customer service. 
All right. Have you ever played? There's a game called, and I don't like saying it because my kids listen to this podcast. So, you know, I don't swear as much as I used to, but it's called um, F Mary Kill. Have yes. you heard of this game? I We're going to play it. We're going to play this. All right. Okay. All right. So, what would you kill when it comes to ops today? The division between departments, uh, the rev ops, marketing ops, sales ops, like all the different ops is ops, and they need to be one cohesive unit. Okay. And what do you, what are you falling in love with right now with ops? <laughs> Documentation. <laughs> oh. I almost feel shame for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but it really like... You know, just even in our own business, as we've been documenting more of the operations processes, it has been such a game changer in refining and scaling um, that, yeah, I am falling in love with documentation. All right. What do you think is super sexy right now in ops? And you can't say documentation again. Uh, no, documentation's definitely not super sexy. Um What's super sexy right now is the salaries. Um, ops has become such a hot function that it's been able to command a little bit uh, higher salaries and, and you know more negotiating power uh, because it is a little bit of a unicorn kind of role. So it has definitely made it a sexier career path. Here's a truth bomb for all of our listeners out there. I wouldn't have stood a chance becoming a CMO without an ops background. That's the truth. It yeah. fast tracked me into a CMO role so fast. <laughs> uh, same. Uh <laughs> I was lucky, you know? So like, there's that, like I, I can tell you that executives genuinely appreciate and value when you are data driven and when you can see through that lens more and more. Um, it also gives you the ability to talk at a higher level um, and be more strategic in your thinking. Yeah. Um, and so. there's also the do better with less, um, that, you know, when things are operationalized, you can scale without having to also have matched the scale of your resources. So you can scale revenue without, you know, it being a one-to-one -one in the people budget, et cetera. Um, which is always appealing to, you know, any leadership team trying to grow a business. All right, so let's do a quick recap here. We've talked about how to pick vendors, um, how to create stickiness. We've talked about how you can become a leader within the organization driving those types of communication. Let's now talk about a little bit of the communication side of when you do have powerful ops, how it can empower the customer experience. I'd love for you to give like your kind of lay of the land when it comes to how you feel like communication streams work well across channels. Like for example, you gave an example of, uh, of, of Amazon. Great example. Obviously that's a really, that's like the poster child, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but providing the options. Like I've talked so much on this podcast about how much it drives me wild when people like get rid of their phone number or they only have hours of operation when I am not working in the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and it drives me wild. So 
give our listeners the lay of the land of like, if you were to go into an e-commerce brand today and they were like, Brandy, I want you to structure the best streamlined customer journey that you can when it comes to communication, where would you start? Where would it end? Uh, I'd start with a map. Um, and so, you know, it's consultant joke. We're always going to draw on a whiteboard. Uh, but that is truly where I would start because I think that people do well at mapping pieces of the journey. You know, so there's usually a lot of mapping that goes into what is the web interaction? Where do they go? That sort of thing. Um, but taking out those individual components and thinking about the broad web you know, because it usually ends up looking like uh, one of those crime crime show, uh, you know, connecting <laughs> all the strings kind of things. But mapping out before they're ever a customer, what does this look like to getting them to buy? Once they're a customer, how do we keep them happy? How do we service them? How do we keep them buying from us again? How do we get them to they, you know, where they are one of our advocates and become a marketing channel for us and are talking about us? What are all those scenarios, including the ones we don't like, which is they have a problem, they hate us, and they're talking, you know, bad about us negatively, you know, in public, like all of the things and trying to find what are like those common journeys. Because when you do it for the first time, it's going to feel overwhelming. If it doesn't feel overwhelming, you didn't do it right. Um, <laughs> and so, true. Yeah. <laughs> And so then it is breaking it apart to say, like, these are the common paths. Like, these are the most common paths to becoming a customer. These are the most common paths of an existing customer. These are most common paths that lead to, you know, an advocate. And looking at what are those communications that need to happen? Um, you know, something as simple, like I just ordered a small piece of technology uh, online, you know, it was like 50 bucks. So not like major consideration purchase. And it was, you know, I ordered it say on Monday, it was delivered on Thursday. And on Friday, I got the email from them asking me to write a review. I hadn't even opened the package. Like, you know, it came Thursday night, like the day after delivery, you're asking me for a review. I don't know if I like it. Um, and so that's a missed opportunity for them because there's now not a trigger for me to go back once I do use the product to actually write a review. So now you've lost that opportunity. So that's like one example of you haven't mapped this journey correct. You're accounting for delivery. You're not accounting for what's the average time for someone to actually use your thing or to have a strong opinion. Do I need to use it once to write a review? Do I need to use it five times? Um, and so that's where the mapping comes in is like really trying to understand what's the most common path and mapping your communications. Where should it be an email? Where should it be a text? You know, are there scenarios where, you know, we've got an app or push notifications or geo-based, um, you know, geo-location uh, targeting, you know, to cross-sell me, like all of these things, and then starting to map that out. So that's where I start. And where I always end is optimization. So we go through, because we're going to make some assumptions on that front end. When we're mapping things out, we're making our best guess based on what we know. We're going to put things in place. They're going to run for a while. 
we need to have that data. This is why, you know, connecting things and connecting things to our reporting platforms are important to know how well did we do? Did we get it right? Did we assume the day after the delivery is the time to ask for a review, but we got none? Okay, let's try five days after. Okay, now we got a ton, but not where we want to be. Okay, maybe we should try seven days after, or maybe we should follow it up with a text. It's that optimization piece um, that's important because you don't always get it right the first time. And benchmark data is just, you know, what other people have done. Like you got to benchmark against yourself. So start with mapping out what needs to happen. End with there is no end because we're constantly optimizing. Really love the example you gave of the review too early. I get hit with that so much. Even in software. Yeah. Like go to go to their, like I'll start a free trial or something like that. You know, I'm like, I, and I'm in it like for 30 seconds and the like a review thing pops up. It's like, hey, how would you rate us? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, I'm still waiting for my password. <laughs> and And by the way, there are people out there that just because you did that are going to rate you bad. So how yeah. much is that actually impacting your NPS and your CSAT scores? Right? So you got to really think about this and you know, there's people out there that might disagree with like mapping the journey. I'm not one of them. I have talked about how important that is. Um, you can learn so much from it. You can learn where your gaps are and you can learn where you're not thinking about I also think it's extremely important just to add to what you're saying um, that you don't do the mapping in a silo. Yes. Because too often from my experience is those that are in charge of trying to figure this out will go through a mapping exercise, but then they didn't involve stakeholders um, that need to be involved in it. And so then they, they build this map. They're like, oh yeah, this is great. This is where we're going to tackle. These, these are what we feel like our priority. And then they go to stakeholders, potentially leadership and leadership's like, oh, you didn't think about this, this or this. And that person's like, well, I didn't even know. <laughs> I had that happen. Like, so facilitating those conversations and mapping is one of the things that we do and went, had planned, you know, I gave them direction on here's the roles you need to invite, like all the prep. I get there and it's marketing and sales in the room. And I'm like, are the other people running late? And they're like, oh, we decided not to invite them. And I'm like, you have a customer success team. You have a customer support team. And then, you know, like even within the sales team, there were like multiple sales teams. I'm like, we gotta have everyone represented or it becomes a one-sided journey. And so then there was this scramble of let's run around. This was back when, you know, people were still in offices. So it was a scramble to run around the building and, you know, at the last minute, get people to come participate in this. And there were so many aha moments of someone in customer support saying, oh yeah, after they interact with us, there's three emails that go out from customer support. Um, and if it was, you know, if they were pissed off, then like, we also do this other thing. And marketing is like sending, come buy more of our stuff while customer service is sending, sorry, you're pissed off at us. 
And marketing was like, oh, we had no idea you guys were sending, you know, all of these communications and doing all of these things. And I'm just like, ah, like this is why everyone has to be here. Um, so yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Any role that has an interaction along the process needs to be represented in some form or fashion. And whether they're in the room or in some cases, we'll do stakeholder interviews in advance because sometimes it's just, it's too much to, you know, like you get that many people in a room for large companies, it, it becomes too much, but we at least have to get that input in some way. So it's like, if you don't take anything else away from this, if you're going to try to map your journey, big or small, make sure you have your stakeholders. Like that's a great point, James. One of the most memorable experiences of doing this was i can't remember the year but i was working for a fortune 500 company called agco they uh, are a tractor manufacturer and they host 11 different brands under their umbrella of agco and you can imagine having to do a journey mapping exercise we were like restructuring the crm across the whole organization we were building specific inbound and like websites for each brand that rolled up into one. Um, and I remember this being a five-day workshop across a big company like that. And I'm talking like 30, 40 people. Ooh. It was so many people. Because, you know, you had you had people that owned specific areas of each brand. So you had to bring them in and the stakeholders for each one of them. And I remember after it... Um, as we started rolling out the new websites and as we started rolling out different functions of revenue streams and things that we were going to try out and <laughs> your yours truly at this particular time early in my career was responsible for rolling out a chat function. This was before, by the way, chat was really big. It was like new and we were, we wanted to see if farmers would engage in a chat and everyone was like, Oh no, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And we fundamentally disagreed. Um, we felt like they would do it. And the reason why they would do it is because like, well, I mean, they drive their tractors from an iPad. So why not? Why wouldn't they? Right. Hmm. So we rolled out this chat function. And I remember within the first week, we had one of the largest deals in like Agco's history um, come through chat. And we engaged with them, talked to the farmer, provided a really unique experience for them sent that over to the dealer and the dealer was like, where did this come from and how did you know about it? And we're like, well, we put it up on the website and they engaged with it. And this was something that we learned from the journey map that we wanted to make sure that, you know, every brand was taken care of. And this was a particular brand that had an e-commerce play. You could buy a tractor and the implements for the tractor online and then work with the dealer to get it fulfilled. And it became such a big thing that that actually became one of the primary channels of, of, of revenue for Echo for quite a while. When, when I was there is, was this online chat and every day people were so blown away that people out on their farms wanted to get online and, and go through chat. And the reason why I bring this up is because as you go through the experience of mapping it out, you're going to discover things that you can test and try that are going to challenge the status quo of maybe people within your own organization. And it's important that you see those tests through. You may, you may find that it doesn't work, but you may find that it works and that you unlock something that's never been unlocked. 
And that value cannot cannot come to the surface without doing that exercise. Yeah, I I agree completely. And it also comes, I think a key component in that is having leadership that is open to trying things. Um, I know sometimes that is the uphill battle that I face is it's like just getting the buy-in that we're going to try something different. Like we're not going to commit to it. We're just going to try. Like it's okay. And then it is things like that, that, you know, something that you fundamentally don't think is accurate turns out to be the thing that, you know, completely revolutionizes the business. And so, yeah, that is a a key part of that. And you only have those ahas when you actually understand what your customers are going through, how they buy, when they buy, why they buy, what they're doing when they buy, you know, all of those things. it does enable you to start having those ideas. Well, okay, if they're driving a tractor from an iPad, what if we gave them a chat icon right there? Like, how could that impact this? Um, So that's awesome. Yeah, Agco is actually right down the street from me, or at least one of their locations. Um, And Duluth. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I was there at that. We used to live in Georgia. Um, So we were in that area a lot. (laughs) Okay, yeah, they are probably 15 minutes from me. Uh, so very familiar with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got those big, you know, what's funny is I I'm sure some of the listeners that are listening today are probably like, whatever, they don't drive tractors from iPads. No, seriously. Like this was part of the technology. You think like Teslas are cool today. <laughs> Ima- imagine a Tesla that's worth four times as much money. That's what these farmers are driving to produce your foods. Um, that you buy at your grocery stores and it's pretty wild the technology that they have getting it down to like the inch and um yeah sorry tangent (laughs) we can have a whole farm discussion uh (laughs) oh brandy we are at time it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today um where can people find you where can people learn more about you um so i'm always on linkedin uh brandy star with two r's i'm usually the first one to come up uh my podcast is revenue rehab so revenue rehab.live um and of course tegrita.com uh you can always find me there would love to hear feedback from any of the listeners Uh, if this resonated with you if you want to challenge my thinking always open for a good discussion so when you connect with me on linkedin let me know you heard me here uh, because i think we all get hit with the abundance of salespeople trying to connect uh so (laughs) always helps to cut through the noise i totally agree you can't you can't control that inbox anymore no not at all so it always helps when people have a note of you know who they are why they want to connect brandy thank you again for joining us if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast please do so just give us a star rating we don't expect you to give a full-fledged like written out rating if you don't want to but that star rating makes a big difference for us. It means we can keep going. So let us know what you think. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can direct mail me or you can just send me an email at james at flipcx.com. I'd be happy to hear from you. Thanks again.